fine. Spoon for Don Belton. Who sits like this on the kitchen floor at two in the morning, turning over and over the small, silent body in his hands, with his eyes closed, fingering the ornate tendrils of ivy cast delicately into the spoon that came home months... No, let me start. <laughs> I want to keep going. I want to okay, keep going. Yeah, just keep going. Yeah. Into the spoon that came home with me eight months ago from a potluck next door, during which the birthday boy, so lush on smoke and drink and cake, made like a baby and slept on the floor with his thumb in his mouth until he stumbled through my garden to my house the next morning where I was frying up stovetop sweet potato biscuits and making himself at home as was his way after sampling one of my bricks told me I could add some baking powder to his and could I put on some coffee and turn up the Nina Simone and rub maybe his feet which I did the baking powder stirring it in and I like to think unlikely though it is those were the finest biscuits Don ever ate for there was organic coconut oil, and syrup bought from a hollering man at the market who wears a rainbow cap and dances to disguise his sorrow. And it might be a ridiculous wish, but the sweet potatoes came from a colony just beyond my back door, smothering with their vines the grass and doing their part to make my yard look ragged and wild to untrained eyes. The kale and chard so rampant, some stalks unbeknownst drooped into the straw mulch, and the cherry tomatoes shone like ornaments on a drunken Christmas tree, and the blackberry vines gnawed through their rusty half-assed trellis. This in Indiana, where I am really not from, where for years Negroes weren't even allowed entry, and where the rest stop graffiti might confirm the endurance of such sentiments. And when I worried about this to Don on a cool September evening, worried it might look, Don, in his kindness, abundant and floral, knowing my anxiety before I stated it, having been around, having gone antiquing in Martinsville a few weeks back and been addressed most unkindly by a passing truck or two, Trucks likely adorned with the stars and bars, knowing the typhoon's race makes our minds do, twirling with one hand a dreadlock and patting my back with the other, asked, smiling sadly and knowingly, niggerish, before saying, it looks beautiful, and returning to some rumination on the garden boy of his dreams, whose shorts were very short and stomach taut and oily enough to see his reflection in. Don told me this as we walked arm in arm through our small neighborhood, which he asked me if he could do. Is this okay? He asked, knowing mostly how dense and sharp the dumb fear of mostly straight boys can be. Oh, Don. Walking arm in arm, shoulder to shoulder, his hand almost patting my forearm, resting there down the small alley next to the graveyard, fall beginning to shudder into the leaves, and Don once dreamt he was in that graveyard, next to his house on 4th, where in real life we sang Diana Ross's Missing You while decorating his kitchen, where I once asked to borrow a signed Jamaica Kincaid novel at which Don made one sound by sucking his teeth that indicated I was both impossibly stupid and a little bit cute, and in the dream in the graveyard where century-old oak trees looked like giants trudging into a stiff wind, 
and some gravestones are old enough to be illegible and lean back as though consulting the sun. Don was floating into the air, which, pleasant at first, became terrifying, he told me, beginning to cry just a little as the world beneath him grew smaller and smaller, his house becoming a toy, the trees huge limbs like the arms now of small people, calling him down. But he couldn't stop going higher, he said, crying just a little. And I've inserted myself two or three times into the dream, imagining a rope cinched to his waist by which Don might be tethered to this world, snatching it as it whips, uncoiling through the grass at my feet and gripping it with all my strength until it almost hauls me up and takes the skin of my palms with it, twisting slowly into the sky at which I become like the trees here on earth, shouting, come back, come back, running some blocks, looking into the sky, first down forth, but as the wind sends him this way and that, I too veer through backyards, hopping a fence or two, not wanting to take my eyes from him, not wanting to lose him, as he sails in and out of the low clouds, looking down with his sad eyes, just as he did when he said at breakfast, I'm a survivor. I survived. This 53-year-old gay black man to which we did a little dance, listing the myriad bullets he'd dodged, swirling the biscuits in their oily syrup, Don occasionally poking his fork into the air for emphasis, laughing and sipping coffee and shaking our heads like we couldn't believe it. And having survived, Don wanted a child to love, and we made plans that I might make the baby with my sweetie and he could be the real dad, reading and cooking and worrying while I played in the garden and my sweetheart made the dough, which maybe would have worked, though Don never once cleaned a dish. And when I told him to put his goddamn plate in the sink, he writhed in his seat and called me bitch before plopping it in, returning to his destiny's child tune about survival, while he scooped and slurped the remaining batter with this spoon in my hands, into which I stare, seeing none of this. I swore when I got into this poem I would convert this sorrow into some kind of honey with the little musics I can sometimes make with these scribbled artifacts of our desolation. I can't even make a metaphor of my reflection upside down and barely visible in the spoon. I wish one single thing made sense. To which I say, oh, get over yourself. That's not the point. After Don was murdered, I dreamt of him, hugging him and saying, you have to go now, fixing his scarf and pulling his wool overcoat snug, weeping and tugging down his furry Russian cap to protect his ears, kissing his eyes and cheeks again and again, you have to go, cinching his coat tight by the lapels for which Don peered at me again with those sad eyes, or through me, or into me, the way my dead do sometimes looking straight into their homes, which hopefully have flowers in a vase on a big wooden table and a comfortable chair or two and huge windows through which light pours to wash clean and make a touch less awful what forever otherwise will hurt.